seen that? Yeah, you. You're very. You almost had a, you almost had a king esque scratch there. Yeah, I, it's just my heads. Of, I keep so my set. There's a tree above me, and uh, I get like paranoid that shit's falling from the tree and into my head. Like there's been there's been a few times where like bugs have dropped down or, or you know those things where you throw them up the air look like helicopters these things yes yep these fucking things I'll throw one up right now um they they fall all the time and sometimes they land on my head and I just like so like I guess I'm kind of like it's like phantom itching you get the heebie-jeebies yeah I guess that's what it's, I guess that's what it is. Yeah, I get that at work, because uh, where I have my, my cigar at work, um, there's a lot of walnut trees there. Like, you can actually, like, smell them in the air. Mm. And there's these little itty-bitty, like, yellowish, tan, cream-colored bugs that, like, they, like, nip at you. I don't know if they bite you or they're just, they crawl on you and they make you itch. But I'm, like, fucking, like, today I was just watching them as I'm having the cigar, and they're just swarming around me. Luckily, they weren't really biting me. So, but yeah, I get that. And I've had actually, like, you know the caterpillars? Like those, like, fuzzy caterpillars that make the, the big... The woolies. Um, the, well, not the woolly bears. They're, they're like the uh, white ones, white and black and gray. I've had them fall on me from the freaking trees where I smoke cigars. So, I know what you're talking about. Two questions for you. Yes. One, do you ever pick walnuts from the walnut tree? No, I have not. Second question. If someone with a nut allergy walks past the walnut tree, do they die? Maybe if they lick it. I thought you couldn't be anywhere near, like, a walnut. Like, you know, peanut butter. You can't bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to school. Uh, otherwise, uh, mass mass insanity ensues. Yeah, I don't know. That's like, well, see, maybe not because I learned this. Um, with the walnut, it's in a, like, it's in almost like a, uh, a little bit smaller than a baseball, like um, you know, like the uh, the racquetballs. It's probably about the size of a racquetball. It's in a like a husk inside of a, a shell, I guess you could say. That's about that big, and you actually have to like break it down. I, I, like you have to peel off the husk, oh. and then boil the, the the actual walnut to soften it up. Oh, so it's 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 a uh, it's a lot of work, I guess, to do this. Is it a chestnut? Are you sure it's not a chestnut tree? No, no, it's a walnut tree. Mm. But I guess, like, you know, the actual... You know how you have, like, the... At Christmas time, you get the bag of mixed nuts and the walnuts are in there? Yes. I guess that that nut with the shell on it is inside of this husk thing. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I learned that I learned that uh, a few days ago with a new guy at work. Hmm. Huh. So. I always thought that they were just the... They came down in the shell and... That was that. Yeah, nope. How about well, that? Well, according to him, I don't know if that's true or not. There, there is some major background noise. Is there a lot of crickets out by you? I, yeah, it's, again, it's just like a uh, ridiculous amount of animals back here, bugs. I hear them. Crickets, cicadas, I, everything. Jesus, you have like the... What was the cicadas? It was the... Um, wasn't like one of like the signs of hell or some shit like that, or like the plague. That's what it was. It was the plague. The locust. Yeah, the locust. That's what I'm thinking of. The locust. I could see me so clear as compared to how I used. Like, we're doing it over Skype as usual. I don't see Tom. 
But I'm like clear as day. It's like the sun's Yeah, out. you are. You are definitely a lot. Clearer I don't know if I like normal. this. As I'm looking, I need a massive shave. <laughs> well, it's actually nice out tonight. Like it, it's uh, the beginning of the week. It kind of got back to humid at night, and I was sweating my balls off out here. But now it's um, now it's kind of back to. It's kind of nice out. It's like the heat broke. And you are completely broken up. Oh, you didn't hear one word I said? I didn't catch any of it. Oh. Well, this one's on you, because I'm on 5G right now on my phone. So, <laughs> this, is your, this is your phone. Yeah. Alright, well, listen, I can hear you fine, and it's coming in fine, so don't worry about it. Um... All right, well, what do, we, what do we have in store tonight? Well, you want to get down to the uh, the nuts of this show? Yeah, speaking of nuts, yeah, why not? We have a very special show planned. Yeah, uh, I've been... Uh, the one podcast that I, I listen to a lot, it actually has... They broke it up into, like, five different shows, and one of the shows is almost like a true crime-type show. And it started making me think, because I, I spend a lot of time sitting on, you know, websites and looking up, you know, going down the rabbit hole, and... A lot of people might not know this band, but apparently they were semi-popular. Maybe it's just a Northeast thing. Maybe it's just a New York hardcore thing. But in, I guess, the early 80s, there was a band called um, Reagan Youth. Right. Named after Ronald Reagan and the Hitler Youth. And we'll get a little bit more into the history of that. But um, not so much the band, but their uh, lead singer and the wild story that he had. Um, in the band, he was uh, called Dave Insurgent, but his real name was Dave Rubenstein. And this was a this was a wild, wild story. Mm-hmm. Now, are you familiar with them, Joe? Have, were, did you have their uh, EPs? Uh, I did not. Uh, I was not a fan of this band. I'm not a big hardcore punk guy, um, and this was a little before my time. Um, I think I mentioned this before. I don't know if I mentioned to you on air or off air, but um, I, I was talking about things falling from the tree. This just fell. Um, they uh, so I was watching several years back. I was watching the movie Airheads uh, with Brandon Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler, and Steve Buscemi. Great, great '90s movie. If you, you know, if you like those stoner comedy kind of things, um, and they played a song at the end called uh, Degenerated, I think it's called, and I, I looked it up because I wanted to see if it was really them singing it, and that led me down a whole rabbit hole into this whole, and this is band, apparently like this, it was a cover of the Reagan Youth song, uh, they originally sang it, and from there I just kind of went deep down, I mean this is a rabbit hole, and oh, I yeah. spent like two hours just like looking up shit, so I am familiar with uh, a lot of the shit that happened with this band. Um, but not so much their music. Well, I mean, I guess... They're like a CBGB well, kind of band. So, if that makes any... No. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that, but... Because um, <laughs> I can't hear shit. Um, but what I find interesting is, this is, like, if you actually look at... And... Maybe it's foreign to us because we were born in the early 80s, and this was all taking place when we were, like, infants still. A lot of this whole thing. But, like, I always found it weird, and 
I even looking back on it now, um, we live very close to the, where the original site of Woodstock is, where and where my old house was. I was like right up the road from it. It was extremely close. Yeah. And I always think about it like it seems like anyone who is like born early on, like when you think about it, all the hippies from um, Woodstock generation, they were born in like 1950. And you're like, how did that happen? How was someone like, because you always think way back in the day that these people are like their grandparents now, but like you always looked at the 50s like it should be so wholesome and this and that. And then even um, this guy, Dave Rubenstein, born in 1964. So you're like, he was like, he's so old, like compared to the time frame we're in now and our age, it's like, man, he's so old. How is he this fucked up? I don't know if you ever think about that like that. Well, I mean, yes and no. He's not, he isn't that old when all this is going on. Mm-mm. He's in his oh, teens. No, 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 he's like in his, he's in his 18. Teens to were, early 20s. Yeah. Give or less, yeah. Yeah, they were teenagers playing at CBGBs, but we'll get to that. But like, do you find that in, like weird that like, that whole generation of it's pretty much the Woodstock generation to like the mid I would even say late late 80s early 90s where it was like the hair metal bands like like Axl Rose was born in like 64 you know what I mean like that they would be like living that wild and doing that kind of drugs and like you know living that debauchery you know rock and roll lifestyle well not really and be whoa hold on uh, because it's um that's that era is like all fucked up like you had hold on one second it's windy man we're, we're really kind of like <laughs> that's probably why we have so much fucking interference over on your side um no because you have that whole uh like studio 54 thing going on disco like uh and then you you know the punk era was very into like that whole new york like that 70s new york era it was uh, very known for like drugs prostitution uh it was a whole bunch of sin going on down there um so i'm not that shocked you know and you got to no, think no, I'm not shocked that. The, my thing is though like anyone born in the 60s the hippie parents probably got into shit because their 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 parents probably didn't give a shit. You know? I mean, I kind of believe that in a way, but then I look at it like, think about it. These are people that were born during World War Two, so like you had that whole like sense of national pride and. All that stuff. It just seemed like where did the where did the disconnection come? Here's you know? the thing. And born on uh, born during World War II, but you got to think about it. So say 1945, they're born. 44, they grew up with parents who were very American. What do you do again? What do you do with your parents in your teenage years? You rebel against them. That's how kind of hippies sort of came into play. I, I agree with that, and those kids had to have been assholes. And I'm sorry because we literally just came out of something that was 
monumental. You know, I mean, the amount of loss of life, the, you know, radical ideology came out where they were literally trying to genocide a whole religious group. Mm-hmm. All this stuff's going down. And then you're going to sit there and just be a douchebag and, and be like, well, I don't like that my, you know, my parents told me no. Or, you know, like, and technology was getting better. Granted, it's not like what we have today. But technology was going, like, you had every chance to just keep being good. And literally, that was like the fundamental thing that started this whole downfall. So I get where you're coming from that. Yeah, it's, you know, it was the post-war you know, post-World War II parents that were shitty people and then they end up having shitty kids. But, like, just the... I mean, I get it. Like, you know what? You were smoking weed. You might have dropped a little acid. But then, to, like... Like, the 80s and everything that goes down with this. It's just, like... I don't want to say I wish I was alive then. I wish I could really, like, dive deep into that. That whole time frame. Because mm-hmm. it's like I just find it completely amazing with everything that went down like that, like watching the Deuce and how you know. And I can only really say like how it would be in New York City because we always hear about it since we're right here. You know, I'm sure it was probably the same in other cities, and there's probably other stories just like this in other cities. But this was close to home, and it just what was. Right. And I would love, like I said, I would love to like. If, there, if any of them are still alive, like an old, like interview an old prostitute from like the, the 70s, you know, Deuce era, and, you know, all that, just, just, just to see like the mindset, what it was like, you know, because I mean, you see photos and, you know, from this time frame, looking at New York City and the way CBGB's was and that whole area, area down there, like, it was a slum. I mean, it was really a dump. Yeah. And, you know, just the, the open air drug markets and all, like, photos give you a glimpse of it, like, just a still shot of it. I would love to just be down. Down there? <laughs> I don't know, I've, the weather's really kicking our ass tonight. Can you hear me? <laughs> okay. See, I wish you had. Yeah. I wish I could see you. That way, you can give me a thumbs up if I if you could hear me or not. <laughs> I tell you, the not not to if break. You can't, I'm gonna do this. Well, I can. I, I can kind of see it. The weather's been weird today because like my power went out earlier today for no reason. And it was off for like five minutes, and now it's like very windy out. I don't know if it's the heat or what's going on. Um, you know, it's weird. When I first came out, it was extreme, and the wind must be going toward you now. Yeah, it's windy there's now. really no wind now. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's kind of dive into this. So before we get into Reagan Youth, you should kind of know what they were named after, and that was Hitler Youth. Uh, the Hitler Youth, the Hitler Youth, uh, excuse me, was a youth organization of the Nazi Party in Germany. Um, it dated back to 1922, and it received the name Hitler. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this. Jugend Bund Deutsche. Arbiter Jugend, I, f- <laughs> I feel like the little girl from uh, Monster Squad. <laughs> That's read that reads off the German. Do you do you remember that? Yes. Okay. Yes, um, I do. It translated to Hitler Youth League of German Youth Worker Youth uh, in 19, in July 1926. Um, so from 1936 to 1945, it was a sole official boys youth organization in Germany, and it was a partially a per, uh, paramilitary organization. 
It was mostly comprised of um, male youths, obviously, from 14 to 18, and the German youngsters and the Hitler youth uh, for younger boys aged 10 to 14. So that's kind of where the name sort of played off of. Um, so now to Reagan youth, um, if you did not know from the beginning, uh, they were uh, early... 1980, uh, I guess you can call them hardcore punk band. Um, they're part of the anarcho-punk movement, and the band members were all committed to being political anarchists. Um, and obviously, they got their name from then uh, presidential front runner Ronald Reagan. So he wasn't even president yet; he was just kind of in the running. Um, and that's where they sort of combined the two names, Reagan Youth. And they were, as you said, they were an anarchist party. They were a, um, a left-wing, anti-racist band, which, okay, I get, you know, having, um, they tuck and cheek the whole Hitler Youth thing. And the funny thing is, Dave Rubenstein's parents were actually Holocaust survivors. Oh, really? Okay, there you go. So they must have been immigrants from, yeah, they must have been immigrants from Germany. And you have that. So I kind of get where you're coming from with that. But, eh, and now looking at back at, like, it, it's funny how you look at the three, almost right now, three parallels of the anarchist movement with this. You had the hippies in the 60s, you had the, the 80s punks, and now you have the cancel culture, you know, 2020s. It's funny how this group is this way. And, again, they had this whole disdain for... You know, I guess conservatism, you know, being far left. And they, they go on tours. They're, they're going out actually with a bunch of um, big name, eventually big name uh, bands. Dead Kennedys, um, Bad Brains, the Beastie Boys. They toured with all these across the country. Right. Again, I understand that you're, you're doing all this. But at the end of the day, it's about making money. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're this anti—they're this anti—you know—right wing, pro left wing group, um, as you said, uh, anarchists, and they're doing this. So and they're young at the time; and they're only in their teens. Yeah, and here's a little trivia: they um, attended Forest Hills High School in Queens. Do you know what other punk rock yeah. band came from that high school? Probably the most famous one of them all. No. The Ramones. It was not the Sex Pistols. No, it was not. They're a different country. It was the Ramones. Uh, and they, uh, it was from da- yes. Dave Rubenstein, who we're going to really dive into here, and Paul uh, Bakija. Uh, they kind of sort of kind of got it. To, they were the ones that attended the high school. And then over time, they uh, recruited uh, the bassist Andy Bryan and then drummer Charlie Bonet. Um, after uh, recording a demo in 81, they replaced Brian with uh, Al Pike. And then Bonet departed after that. Um, and then uh, they got Steve Weissman. And then that's when they signed to uh, Our Radical Imprint, which is a former record label uh, down in, um, I guess, Queens it was, or one of the boroughs. Um, so, yeah, so they, they kind of got a following for that punk rock, which, I mean... At that time, 
that was punk rock at like kind of its peak. Like you got that late seventies, early eighties. This is before like new wave and um, hair metal, especially Got hair punk. metal. I'm sorry. Got punk and all that. Yeah, yeah. So this they this is like the peak of punk. Yeah, we're talking, you know, Blondie and they were all playing around the same time. The Ramones, they were all playing the same club. Mm-hmm. And they're from Queens, traveling into Manhattan. They're doing this as teenagers. Um, and the funny thing is about a lot of that. With these bands, a lot of them, like, they were not good musicians. Mm-mm. I mean, when... I mean, I have a few Sex Pistol albums, and, like, Sid Vicious, terrible bassist. I oh, mean, yeah. like, absolutely atrocious. Like, they, they said at, at certain points, they would just unplug his bass, because he was just... He didn't know how to play. Mm-hmm. It was just go in there, make a lot of noise, and have this. Um, and I have listened to a few... I've gotten a little bit more um, into it by diving into this rabbit hole and just listening to bands. And most of their songs are like, at most, two minutes long. It's just anger yelling, a lot of, you know, screaming and distortion. And these scenes had to have been wild. I mean, absolutely wild at these clubs. Yeah. So they got this, this following... And they did sell a lot of albums. I mean, 40,000, I think, EPs on one thing. So, I mean, it's not like they were not pop. Right. I mean, there was some scene, and it influenced a lot. Even when we were growing up, because guys that we went to school with, they were in this stuff like this, you know, and bands that were influenced by this whole whole old school you know punk scene yeah um so yeah like you said like they you know they toured uh uh by the um I don't know how far ahead you really want to jump into it. I mean do you really want to dive into this but there's not much to them they got they went through a bunch no. of uh they went through a bunch of uh if you look at the past Members, there's like, there's like twenty five guys. So they had and a. Re- that was the norm for a punk band back it, then. It was. It was a revolving door. Um, so by the late eighties, um, the touring took its toll, which I can only imagine. Um, and despite all the shows they played and the large fan base they have, um, they oh, they were broke. They were always broke, which I could see. I mean, <laughs> punk wasn't a mainstream thing like it just it was there and it had a hardcore following but that hardcore fan base wasn't really enough to project them into the mainstream and punk punk is pretty much against mainstream so they probably didn't really want to be I guess that mainstream to begin with so uh, coincidentally or on purpose I don't know but when Ronald Reagan left office in 1989 the band split up um but despite their decision to to, uh, to break up, the group drew the attention of a punk label called New Red Archives, and they signed a two-album deal. Um, and then they just kind of they re-released an album, and then they did like a couple of like EPs here and there. But pretty much, it was just Reagan Youth was done. Yes. 
So you have where now he's become a, he's had a little bit of success in the world, if you will. Maybe not financially, but in the world. And he's now probably dived into this whole Manhattan scene. Mm-hmm. You know, living that, that lifestyle and this and that. And this is where the story really starts going in the downward spiral. Uh, again, I'm assuming that he didn't just start using heroin. So I'm sure it was a slow progression. We don't really hear too much about what he really did in the beginning. But he eventually becomes a heroin user. And right. an occasional deal. So he's, he's doing all that. Um, he did get into a few ventures, nothing really panned out, nothing I think he would show of significance, but now it's around 1990, the musical landscape has definitely changed where you're now starting to not see even the, the side of, you know, punk, rock, it, 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 it definitely changed for, I would say a good, what would you say, five years? That early 90s to mid-95s, when we started getting in high school type thing, you know, grunge. It, it changed. Oh yeah, I mean, you talk about one from hair metal to grunge, alternative, all yeah. in five years. And that, yeah, and that grunge thing, it, it didn't last long. And no. most of the grunge bands, they kind of turn mainstream, if you will. Mm-hmm. So you have a big change in how everything's going. So this guy is probably completely out of place with what he's comfortable what he. Yeah. Essentially, he becomes so bad that he conflict with a drug dealer. I guess overpayment or over product, whatever the case may be. And this other drug dealer beats, pretty much almost beats him to death with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over a deal. He ends up slipping into a coma, and while he's while he's in a coma, I guess they he uh, his parents come to you know see him, and they agree to give him a lobotomy. Now, I'm assuming that, I mean, what we hear about lobotomies where, you know, it was in the, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest type thing, where, right. like, you know, they pretty much just probably lopped a big chunk of your brain out, and you become catatonic. It seemed like he was almost functioning after a lobotomy. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So, he, I guess he gets... He comes out of the, the lobotomy. He moves back in with his parents for a little bit. Um, he ends up getting, you know, he's pretty much just kind of staying in his room, you know, very much almost like a shut-in, and eventually relapses back into drugs, moves back over to, um, back into the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lost a lot we of... start talking about Tiffany now? Because... Yeah, he and he lost a lot of uh, friends because, which is usual. Like usually, when you do heroin, more or less, you become a recluse. Um, yes. Yeah. So back to Tiffany. <laughs> okay. Like, if you will, the back burner. Mm-hmm. He's still involved, and it's still his story. But it, now it dives in Tiffany, and um, I'm sorry if butcher her last name. It's Ressa Canny. 
Uh, Bresky, yeah, that's that's fine. So she's a uh, she was born in 1971, so she's much younger than him. Very she's, young. We're looking at seven years younger than him. She's a girl from Louisiana, I guess, in a small town out of Louisiana. She ends up um, she's an only child. She moves up to New York City to you know like every girl back then to fulfill her dream of you know making it in the big city. She gets there. She ends up, um, you know, really being, I guess, engulfed into this whole uh, music scene. She starts dating a um, a band member from a different punk band, the the Maui Ma- the Mau Maus. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Wilder, appropriate name. Um, <laughs> they have a, a tumultuous relationship, and apparently, she gets onto heroin as well. So she's staying at this, and he, I guess this band had somewhat success, so she was actually living in like a, a decent section of Manhattan, but still living in this, you know, punk scene, trying to make it, um, but it didn't go that way. They end up breaking up, and she meets up with uh, Dave Rubenstein. She starts dabbling in heroin. Um, to make ends meet, she starts to doing stripping she's working as a dancer and I guess slowly as we all know once you get into the heroin you get into the stripping you know you eventually get into prostitution and she's working literally as just a uh, street prostitute so working she, on she's working. Houston Street yes do you know where do you remember Houston Down in the Street village. Little side, little side story. Me, many, many years ago, uh, me, uh, I think your wife and Johnny's wife were going to a bachelorette party uh, down there somewhere. So I took a ride with you guys to kind of hang out in the city, and we hung out on Houston Street, and we went to a, a bar. Do you remember that, Tom? Yes, I do. And we went to this one bar. There's there. two bars we went to. Yeah, went to, and I remember the one bar we went to was a. It, it seemed like a place where uh, these guys would hang out. <laughs> there was uh-huh. there was porn playing on the TV. You walk in, there's just a bowl of condoms that you could, I guess, take some. Um, I forget the name of the bar too. I think it was like. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of. It was like pitch black in there, and the only thing that was on was like. Red lights and like black lights. Yeah, we we stuck out like a sore thumb in this place. <laughs> yeah, but we did have a beer. <laughs> yes, that was the second bar we went to. The first one we went to, we actually we walked out because we ended up getting beers. The it was so packed in there that they serve us or get our money for it. So we just drank the beers and then left. That's right. That's right. We so, did do that. <laughs> yes. All right. So back anyway. Back to the story. So she's starting to really fall into this whole prostitution, heroin thing. They're pretty much living this junky lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And she supported and them. She supported them. Yes. He didn't. Do, she, he wasn't doing anything. So she was being a prostitute to yeah, support I both mean, of them. I mean, he had he, at this point he had no life skills. He's a washed-up punk musician that has half a brain, literally, and 
he can't he can't do anything. So he essentially is taking her out as she's doing her her um you know twenty dollar ten dollar tricks. He's he's accompanying her out there. Now there's other talk about how he not be really even because there's he talks to his friends or the few that he has left. He says that there's actually another woman in this whole story. We never find out her name. We don't hear anything about her. Mm-hmm. But he essentially is acting almost as a surrogate pimp to her while having a relationship with her. So it's not the classic, you know, um, pimp story that you hear. You know, like giving her a strong hand and taking all of her money. They were take they were taking the money that she was getting from tricking and using it to buy drugs and then just getting high. Right. So it wasn't any physical relation, you know, physical on the abuse relationship. It was just pretty much I'm gonna I'm gonna accompany you so that make sure you don't get in trouble, and we'll go, you know, we'll get your money, we'll go get high, and we'll go from there. And I guess her um like kept uh kept up with her every like so she almost seems like she's kind of functioning where he's just completely out of control. Well, functioning is definitely a term you can say loosely. She, I mean, I guess more or less, yeah, she's functioning where she can, she knows what she's doing. But, you know, when you fall into that lifestyle, looking for your next fix, you're pretty much willing to do anything, I guess, so. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're, they're living this lifestyle, and um, one night, I'll get the exact date here. She ends up going. And, June twenty, and June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three. I got your back. Yes. There you go. She's twenty two at the time. He's, I believe, like twenty eight ish. Twenty eight, mm-hmm. twenty nine. Yeah. And she ends up going out for a trick, and she hops into a car with. Joel Rifkin. Now, totally by chance, if you will, I guess Joel at one point was had seen her stripping and I guess knew her. And to get into Joel Rifkin, um, this is a this is a typical story of like how you would read it like a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy's getting bullied and all stuff. So he ends up um, being born to um, college sweethearts. Um, his biological father is an army vet. He's born and is given up for adoption immediately. He gets adopted by a pretty much a middle class family, grows up on Long Island. He's a little bit slower in school. And I guess he also gets. Um, he gets bullied a lot because I, I guess he was a little bit tubby. It's a nice way uh, for <laughs> explaining it. He ends up uh, graduating from East Meadow High School in 1977. He goes to a few community colleges, you know, state universities in New York, and he, get, he never gets a degree. In 1987, his, his adopted father dies of prostate cancer. Um, well, he died. He died by suicide. Yes. After suffering he, he from gets, prostate cancer. Yes, he gets uh, diagnosed with, I guess, terminal, like probably stage four. Knows he's not going to live. Ends up killing himself. 
So, Joe is kind of just this failure to want type of guy. Never really has anything. He's just kind of living there. In the mid-80s, he gets picked up for actually in a prostitution sting. So we see where he's now becoming this guy who likes ladies of the night. Right. So Rifkin ends up being a very notorious serial killer. Makes his first murder on February 20th, 1989. He kills a prostitute. And when you look at him, if and we'll post pictures uh, next week, you would not think that this guy would do stuff like this, but this is like a sick mind. He well, ends up dismembering. I'm looking at a picture of him. I can I can see it. Uh, I mean, and this is a picture, obviously, when he was in court, so I don't have any pictures of him before that. But, you know, mustache, you know, big mustache, glasses, greasy hair. Uh, I don't know. I think he kind of looks... I think he kind of looks a little bit like a... He's got that creeper look to him. He does. He doesn't have, like, that, uh, that kind of satanic look you get. Like, you know, you look at a picture of Charles Mann, and he's, like, grinning at the camera, and, like, he's got that, that like, wild man eye to him. This right. guy looks like a very docile guy. Right. He looks like someone who would probably live in a, you know, creepy house, drive an old beat-up car, and go for prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he does fit a profile. He just doesn't fit the profile of what he does to these women. Mm-hmm. And essentially what he does is he dismembers them. He's, if you will, for being a serial killer, he's in the beginning very smart about it. He dismembers them, he you know, rips out teeth, takes prints, and dumps parts of the body in different locations. Mm-hmm. So like a torso might be in one town, and uh, you know, a head might be in another. He does all this. And interesting fact, one of his um, victims ends up being found in Cornwall, New York, which is very close to us. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yep. Hmm. Her, uh, Mary Ellen DeLuca, she was 22. Her remains were found on October 1st, 1991, and she was identified on July 4th, 1993. Wow, two years later. Shit. So, I, I mean, yeah. So, he ends up killing, I believe it was 17 women altogether. Um, he now is... Um, we're looking at June 24th, 1993 and he picks up Tiffany they drive around and he ends up uh, you know, she says, listen, I'll be 20 minutes I'll be back 20 bucks, 20 minutes, bing bang boom and she'll be back Mm -hmm. she fails to show back up and now Dave is kind of getting concerned Dave starts calling the police, he starts going to all the places where she might be the strip clubs, the you know, the drug dealer's house is all this stuff to go and look for her. Can't find her. Um, we now get into where, uh, what's his name? Where, excuse me here a second. Where Joel, sorry about that. Joel ends up, um, having her in his wrapped up in a sheet Joel's mom actually goes out one day with her body still in the car and she actually opens the trunk never sees her in there <laughs> Joel gets Joel gets nervous he says you know what I gotta get her out he goes puts it in the back of his uh, he's got like a 
I guess like a Ranger type car. It's a very, you know, like a smaller pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, like the old 80s style, 90s style small pickup truck with the cap on the back. So he ends up getting in, he gets, um, he gets into a police pursuit with them, ends up crashing into a, I believe a light lamppost or a tree. When the cops walk up, you know, they're like, what the fuck? It was just for like a minor infraction. All of a sudden he just says to him, I killed 17 women. Like just <laughs> flat out admits to it, you know? Wow. They find the body and she's, she's been now dead for a while. So she's like decomposing, the smells there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's turned into a horrible thing. So, Joel, I guess, um, ended up. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, when it comes to murdering these prostitutes. And he actually gets it from a, um, Alfred Hitchcock movie, Frenzy, where the, I guess the, one of the female characters gets choked. And it seems like a lot of these, you know, we don't really hear too much about serial killers anymore, but, you know, from the mid-70s till, you know, kind of when that phase ended, you know, they get that sexual gratification from, you know, the the murder, this and that, and he actually had no intention to kill her, apparently, from what I was reading on him. He, uh, he actually had picked up a prostitute earlier in the night and didn't kill her and just decided, well, I'm going to kill this one. And end up just choking her to death, and you know, this is what happens. Dave now is completely distraught. You know, it pretty much, and I think it was probably a little bit of hopeless despair because he knows his cash cow for his drugs is gone. Yeah. You know, I don't, and I, I do believe that it could be a little bit more with the whole thing where he didn't really love this girl. It was just he was using her, and like as like you said, a a pimp for drugs and she is gone and Dave ends up uh, overdosing so it's just this well you look at how the story just unfolds and there's a there's a little more to this Uh, on June 30th 1993 his mom dies in a freak accident after being run over in a vehicle by his father. (laughs) Two days after his girlfriend's body is found, his mother dies in a complete freak accident. I I, I couldn't really... I looked up on what happened and I couldn't find anything about how this this occurred. Yeah, yeah, they said it was just like... The father never got charged with anything. It was just... I don't know how it happened, but he was in the vehicle, and she ends up getting run over. Well, was she checking the tires or something, and then (laughs) he forgot? I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, you hear about these. Uh, Who is the one actor that was in the, uh, he was in Star Trek? Yeah, the car car rolled back and killed him. Yeah, like it pinned him. Yeah. Like, how'd you let that happen? But yeah, so all this stuff is coming down on this guy, and he ends up overdosing. Uh, he died July 3rd, 1993. So three days after... I mean... Gee, I mean, what a fucking week. His girlfriend dies yeah. June 24th. His mom dies less than a week later. Then less than a week later after that, he dies by committing suicide over drug overdose. 
I mean, he, I mean, he really didn't give himself time to, to mourn at all. Like, he kind of just, I mean, I guess it's a lot. I mean, he, he seemed like he was close to, close to his parents before he kind of hooked up with her. He was, he was living with his parents, and uh, they were trying to kind of clean him up a little bit. Obviously, it was, it, it was for nothing. Um, but, uh, you know, he was, he was close with them, and... There we go. You know, now now his mom's dead. His girlfriend's was brutally murdered. His mom by a freak accident. And I guess you know that that's a lot to bear. You know, if someone dies, you know, cancer or they're sick or they're old, like you kind of have time to sort of prepare for that. But to have two unexpected, gruesome deaths back to back, the two people you're super close with. I mean, I guess that could drive anyone sort of uh, in a downward spiral. And uh, that's oh, unfortunately yeah. what happened to him. And uh, yeah, so July third, July third, he was 28 years old. He was one year shy of the uh, 27 club. Yeah. And when you think about it, like I said, how you said that it was like the perfect storm. Girlfriend, you know, um, mother, terrible career, you know, terrible end to a career, ends up having essentially, you know, I don't want to say a traumatic brain injury, but I, I mean, I guess you could say it was a brain injury because they cut the fucking part of it out from yeah. the, the bat attack. And I mean, literally, you like just, if you could see like snapshot this guy's life on how like it just went downhill. Like, it's amazing how it, it goes and just all these series of events, you know, he's in this he's if you will has a little bit of notoriety a little bit of fame Mm -hmm. yeah he ends up losing it all a girl from across the country moves up there they end up having to just incidentally meet kick it off they end up having this you know Sid and Nancy's um relationship and out of probably think about it if they were using heroin this much she probably was a prostitute, and at 22 years old, a prostitute having sex with how many people? Probably a week, mm-hmm. you know, multiple people a week, and just happens to get picked up by a guy who is a serial killer, and earlier in the night picks up another prostitute, doesn't kill her, and happens to kill this girl. Wrong place, you know, wrong like, time. Yeah, if he would have killed the first prostitute, none of this may have even went down. But or or, just, or if she went like out like if she went out five minutes later, would yeah, have missed them probably unless he events. unless he circled the block. I mean I don't know, but yeah, yeah it's just it, it's amazing when you look at like series of events like this, and you know you, like you look at Ted Bundy and a lot of his uh, murders were you know they weren't like almost they were again like this. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't a stalking type thing. It just just a quick series of events meeting that this right person at this right time and like, I guess did it affect yeah also those with Dave's family and just the fucked up nature that he was in it's like this perfect storm of fucking you know drugs sex drugs and rock and roll it literally hits everything that you could go with that right uh 
As for Rifkin, um, he was found guilty on nine counts of second-degree murder in 1994 and sentenced to to 203 years up to life in prison. He is uh, currently being held in the Clinton Correctional Facility, uh, which is up in... uh, I'm going to... Denimora, Denimora, New York, um, which is uh, all the way up there. That's like, if you look at yeah. the map of New York, all the way. Which is, yeah, you really can't go any further than than this uh, this village. Um, so yeah, so I mean, he one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, almost two dozen women he killed. The last being Tiffany. Um, and again, that's it. it. The last one had to be this girl. Like it's, it's just. There's so many ends to this story, you know. Mm-hmm. The the end of the band, the um, end of his brain, the end of this girl's life, the end of the serial killer, the end of his mother, the end of him. It's just like every stopgap in this guy's life ends in tragedy, and it, it's just. I don't want to say anything, you know, negative about the dead, but, like, what kind of shitty person, maybe he wasn't a past life or whatever, that so much tragedy happened to one person continually. It was like one kick in the teeth after the other. Yeah, it it really was. Uh, I mean, I, I, I again, I kind of question... Uh, you said he had a lobotomy to relieve, like, the, I guess he had the, you know, the brain issue. But... I mean to just uh, yeah I don't know I mean it seemed to be honest like if if he didn't die then I mean it was pretty much a given I'm gonna assume he was gonna overdose eventually you know uh, you you mess with heroin especially this hard I mean you're living as a recluse your girlfriend's a prostitute it, this story doesn't oh, this this story doesn't have a happy ending. You know, you, no, I mean, he's in he's in deep, 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 and I think this was just it put him over the edge sooner than it was it was going to happen. You know, um, if his mom didn't die, who knows what would have happened? Would it, I mean, I, I personally think I get like I said, I he wouldn't have died July third, but I think he would have end up overdosing eventually. Whether by accident or on purpose. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Joel Rifkin. Uh, it, it's. Uh, it's really. Again, I, I said it was almost two dozen women. Two of them have yet to be identified. Uh, they call them number six and number nine. They just. There's just no. They don't know who they are. They're just unknown prostitutes. And you know, I, I mentioned before in this podcast, I'm really into like looking at missing people, and, and you know, just I'm just interested in that, like those true crime things. And I have to wonder if these two people are two people I've you know looked up before. There's got to, I'm sure they they got to be, unless they're just two people that no one really unfortunately cared about to really report missing. Um, but the, uh, they're all women, all prostitutes. Um, the oldest was uh, 33, Ana Lopez. Um, youngest was 21, Violet O'Neill. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's... Well, that's the other thing, too. You, like, you look at a lot of 
serial killers and the ones that target prostitutes. It's mm-hmm. just the, the lack of maybe empathy for life where they look at them like they're just, they're insignificant. No one cares about them. And the fact that you like fall into this. And if you look at it from that aspect where this guy is sitting there going, you know, it's a prostitute. No one gives a fuck about them. Who cares if they go missing? They're, they're just unwanted. Well, that's why I think a lot of these serial killers target them. Yeah, that's why they 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 target them because it's a it's almost not a freebie, but there's less attention to it. Like prostitutes, most likely run away, a drug addict uh, isn't close with their family. It's someone that they can kind of dispose of that no one's gonna really search for. Like, say if you just kidnap. And kill just some random girl in the neighborhood. Like, you get cops, you get, uh, you know, family, friends. All eyes are on this person. It's on the news. A prostitute passes away, and and it's like, well, you know, look what she did. That that's kind of how the media portrays it. Now you look at the Long Island serial killer, uh, who has yet to be found. Whether it's one, two, or how many there are that's doing this, you know those bodies that were washing up on uh, I think it's the South Shore. Um, I think some of them aren't even identified still. Um, yeah. So it, it's they're like easy targets, I guess you could say. And yeah, you say that that they're easy targets, and in the eyes of the media, in the eyes of these killers, they're disposable humans they're just you know they're it, it it's like stepping on an ant no mm-hmm. one cares but when you look at tiffany and maybe it's a bigger story about her she was loved by her mother like i said her mother called her every like three times a week would send her care packages do all these things to be a doting mother not maybe knowing that she was a heroin addict that she was you know prostituting out right and then you have dave who literally is using her as a lifeline because if he didn't have her, he might be getting dope sick. He might, you know, what would he do to do this? Yeah. And essentially, she kept him probably straight, not not on the drug aspect, but if he was a bad heroin addict, he might start committing crimes, might start doing robberies, might end up in, in prison, and that would have made more of a downward spiral spiral on him where, you know, now he's in jail and bad things can happen in there. She essentially was loved by two people and despised by another. And it's just the the dynamic of looking at that I always find interesting. Yeah. How someone could be so needed and loved by someone and so disposable to another. Mm-hmm. It, like just that like I said, that that dyna- dynamic between the two of them. You know. Yeah, uh, there's a um, there's a Seinfeld episode. I forget which one it is, but Elaine's dating this guy with the name Joel Rifkin, and throughout the episode, she's like, you know, maybe you should change your name. And he's like, no. Nah. He's like, this is my name first. So they go to a Giants game, <laughs> and they announce his name, I guess, over the speaker. I forget why, and the whole place just like turns on him, <laughs> and he finally he's like, yeah, I think maybe I'll change my name. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, uh, I again I forget what episode it is. I gotta, it's it's a it's funny, um, but yeah, there was it was referenced, um, and uh, 
Gary uh, Baba Bowie from Howard Stern used to work with him at a record store back, you know, years ago. Because, you know, he's from Long Island also. So, yeah, so it's just a uh, small world, I guess. You know? And you would think for Seinfeld, that was out during this, probably this time, right when this guy was in the news, that they would actually put out something, maybe that controversial. And look it up. Yeah, it's... it's like, and think about it. Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, these are more common names, if you will. Like, Joel Rifkin is probably not a... You know, it's not Bob Smith. Oh, wow. Okay, so this episode... I found it. It's the masseuse. Uh, it's called the masseuse. Um, ninth episode of the fifth season, so if you guys want to go on Netflix and watch it. Aired no, uh, November 18th, 1993. So this is very new. So it was. That's probably why they put it in there because it was very fresh. He, uh, I mean, what four or five, five months after this all happened. So it, yeah. it, it was a fresh name. So I mean, that's probably why they did it. It was in the news. Um, but yeah, very very funny. So, and when you. And think about it. When you hear a lot about you know stories like this, this is it, this one always popped my curiosity because of just the the way that it flowed. This would be a perfect like movie if they were to make. Well, and and with whose point of view? I mean, you could do all three of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's such a it, there's. Essentially, three different, if you will, lead characters that could be in this. Yeah. You know, you, you have the, you know, the, the semi-famous musician, you know, this hometown girls trying to live the big dream, and then a serial killer. Like, it, it, when I, go ahead. So, sorry, go ahead. It was like almost too fake to be true. Like I said, it was just too fake to be true that all these these three different if you will light on the just one night one probably 20 minute encounter yeah uh, I think the reason why is because it's such a tragic story like there's no happy ending here for anybody no not at all they all you know one guy's a serial killer one's a, pro- a poor girl who really went up to New York City to kind of pursue a dream and just fell really hard on hard times and then you got this lead singer of a not a very well-known punk band outside of the punk scene um, who has a shitty life and then has all this tragedy happen to him in less than a week and he kills himself a couple days after that. So it, it's, uh, it's it's it'd be a very depressing movie. <laughs> so maybe that's why it's yes. not touched. But I, I'm surprised it's not a very well-known... Um, story. You hear a lot of a lot of stuff like this. I mean, this would be big news if this kind of happened today. But, and I guess maybe it was at the time. We were too young to really kind of pay attention to it. But it doesn't seem like eyes are on it these days. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And that's why, like, it, really what got me interested in talking about this is um, I was reading about it, and it, I've I've read about this a few times. Like I've again going down that rabbit hole and popping into it. I I read it 
it again. And it's always been in there. And there's another story that's off of Long Island that I said another podcast was doing about the Acid King. Do you know who the Acid King is? I don't. Um, I believe it's Kelso. Say it again. I lost. Say it again. I lost. Story to read about. Say the name again. I lost you. Ricky. Last name is Queso. K A S S O. Okay. If you look up the Acid King, you'll find it. But again, it's like another one of these stories that is just a. If if you're a fan of uh, true crime, you know stories. This these two are two to kind of dig into, and there's a little bit. If you do look into this story, there's um one website that I got a lot of the information from about Tiffany and it really breaks down so again if you if you like this it's it's definitely a uh, a great rabbit hole to go down yeah definitely oh oh anything anything more you'd like to add Tom don't do heroin yeah I guess or start a low key uh, punk band uh, well, if you're interested in this story, or others like it, or just want to listen to us bullshit, which is what we usually do, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, BullNoringPC, Instagram, BullRingPC, Facebook under Joe Tom. You can find us on Podbean, Podcoin, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Music. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review us so other people can find us. Uh, don't do heroin, don't do a punk band, and don't get a prostitute. And if she goes in the car with yeah. a pickup truck that looks... That too, yeah. Uh, just uh, be careful out there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed this tale. Uh, you know, we have uh, we have some others in the bank that we're kind of we're working on, so stay tuned for that. And uh, as always, you know, you can find us uh, wherever your podcasts are being streamed. Shit going on on the street behind me. Uh, for, uh, well, until next time, I am Joe. And we'll see you next time right here on Bulls in the Ring. Take-